0: Riverhead Books presents Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey.
1: There is something very rich in tearing
0: a book apart. I don't want to spend my eyeballs on these 300 pages.
1: You really don't have to read any novel, except maybe moby Dick.
0: I'm stunned hearing you say that. The first
1: book I got was Journal of a Plague Year.
0: The feel-good book of the pandemic, ladies and gentlemen.
1: I know. I'm a reverse size queen when <laughs> sure i guess
0: okay i love this more and more
1: hi guys i am marlon james and if you're listening i'm assuming you're part of the living people um but here we're we're here to talk about what we usually talk about dead people not dead and rotting people because that would be a different kind of podcast and we're not talking about army of the dead today um but you know in case you haven't picked up yet because my accent is so vague and you cannot distinguish us apart i'm marlon James.
0: And I'm Jake Morrissey. In this episode, we want to talk about best last books. These Mm -hmm. are books that by dead authors that were the last books they published in their lifetimes, and the ones that we liked. So, if we have time, maybe we'll also talk about terrible last books that authors mm-hmm. published before they died. And 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 later on in this episode, uh, we'll be talking about the book that I assigned both of us to read in a previous episode that neither one of us had read before to sort of see what we think. So mm-hmm. so so let's get started. Um, so,
1: but bef- first, thing, bef- I I I think we should probably should clarify this before. Does are we talking last book when the author was alive, or do posthumous books count?
0: Well, I I would okay. As soon as I'm going to say this, you know, make this pronouncement, I'm going to mm. I'm going to break it because I think these should be the last books that the authors published or wrote before they died.
1: Okay, so it's a big Scratches it's a big half umbrella. Off the list. <laughs> Actually, All no, right. that clar- that clarifies certain things.
0: Okay. Um, so so the, my question to you is basically, did you my first question is, did you find it hard to come up with a list like this?
1: I found it very hard to come up with a good um, with Me a list too. like this. Um, Me too. I think funny enough, especially since some of these guys, I think their their posthumous the posthumous discovered book is sometimes better than the last book. Sometimes that's not the case. Uh, Maurice is an awful novel. You know, uh, yes. Yes. I'm no sorry.
0: No question about that. No
1: question about that. Yeah. Yes. Um. It's it's it, yeah. Um. Then you have Ghost of a Watchman, which is the last book, but I don't know if we can qualify it as anything because I don't know. I we, we, I mean we keep hearing that that um that um uh, why am I blanking on the author Harper, Harper Lee, Lee? You know, was fully there when the book came out, and I mean fully there mentally. Um, but we don't know and. And also, you know, the thing about Ghost at a Watchman, I've said this countless times. It's, it's, To Kill a Mockingbird is a better novel, but Ghost at a Watchman is a better atticus.
0: Okay. All right. That, I mean, th- so are you, so you want to talk about Ghost at a Watchman, which is not, the... re- n-
1: not really. That's not even in my list. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, You're just riffing about here. about okay. what, what, uh, what I'm, I, I, that's my really circular way of talking about that. It actually is a kind of tricky topic. Yeah, this not the I best agree. last, because I think. You know, um, it makes it, it it means that Kafka doesn't make this list.
0: Yes, totally. I right. think I think almost all, almost every author' best work is not the last book they write. Mm.
1: Right, because it it leads me to a tricky thing. Like, what do I do with Northanger Abbey? Yes, which is, to me, one of Jane Austen's greatest novels. Yes, she did work on it. Yes, you know it's not an undiscovered thing. She didn't want published. Right. Um, is it's death was really, in this case, death was really just a damn inconvenience. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you you kind of messed up the last plans. Death, right, right. But I think it still qualifies. I me. agree,
0: and it's also what well, I, I mean. I. It's one of my favorite Jane Austen novels, Northanger Abbey. For, for those mm-hmm. who haven't read it, it's, a, it's essentially a send-up of kind of those 18th century gothic novels. seems so great about it. Well, totally. Seemed, and it's a, but it's essentially kind of a comedy of manners and drawing, mm-hmm. you know, drawing room uh, comedy. Not unlike, you know, Pride and Prejudice or whatever. But it's so smart. It's so kind of, you know, chuckling it, in a way that is n- unexpected. I think it's incredibly yeah. well done.
1: There's this. There's this. Um, I'm gonna write a paper on this one day about final works by British authors. This includes Shakespeare, where they start to they start to get a little sort of, I guess, a little not just cheeky, but a little sort of ironically aware of their own status as authors. Like I think, I think um, there's a certain kind of savageness to Shakespeare's late plays that's not in the early ones. Um, I think this is, in a lot of ways, this is Jane Austen being very, very conscious of who Jane Austen is.
0: So, is this is this Jane Austen with, and I can't believe I'm about to say this in the context of Jane Austen, is this Jane Austen with zero fucks to give?
1: Kind of. You see, I was going to say, this is her, uh, this is her, you know, uh, this is her. I am that bad. I am that bitch. <laughs> novel, to paraphrase Lizzo. You know, uh, I, you know, and I think. But it also it it all. It, it, but it's also in some ways, it's it's the. This is so weird. The very best kind of final novels do leave you kind of sad, because you you just know oh what they could have done next.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um. So so I am I the, the problem with this thing, of course, is that. Is that um, one? I try to find any chance possible to talk about Toni Morrison, but I will not today. <laughs> but it still brings up novels I've talked of before. Two in particular, okay. we've always lived in a castle. Yes, by Shirley Jackson, which to me is a perfect novel. Completely White, agree. Yeah, White Sargasso Sea. Um, you know, which is ten. It's not her last book, but I think but it's, it's her last one she novel. published.
0: Or the, or the, oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Yes. The
1: last, the last thing she published was was a, a book of verses, and she didn't finish yeah. it before she died. Okay. So then, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna park. We have always lived in a castle, and why I got to see and put in Penelope Fitzgerald's The Blue Flower.
0: All right. I've not read that. Explain. Uh, talk about that a little bit.
1: So it's a historical novel. It gets. It's about. Um. It's it's thinly based on is this guy Novalis a scientist? I can't remember. But the main thing about it, which is what, 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 what Fitzgerald does very well, is basically this man is kind of have the hearts for this girl who is, what, 12 years old. Oh, God. So, and the thing I, I like about it, and the thing that these are fighting words, is I do think female authors broach that subject way better than male authors do. With all, right. all well, due respect to Lolita. <laughs>
0: And you have way more respect for Lolita, I think, than I do. But so to talk about why women do it or why women novelists do because it I think or too
1: often when male authors go into so-called forbidden territory, the the, the, the female character doesn't have any agency because mm-hmm. they don't know how to write it. How do you how do you make a twelve-year-old involved in a kind of romant, a romantic not attachment? Well, you know, they don't know how to write it. I think if you give the character agency, you're saying she asked for it. Yep. And if you don't give the character agency, then the person, the character, is a projection of male desire. And in between all of that, you have a bunch of whiny male authors who are just like, well, I don't know what to do. I wish wouldn't do it.
0: So, what does Penelope Fitzgerald do differently than say Nabokov does?
1: Um, I think one, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's not lurid. It's, it, it doesn't go there. It's not. It's it, mm-hmm. this is not no. I'm going to push the boundaries and have set to a rape in my novel. She's way too smart for that. Yep. But she, it's, it's a historical novel. And it's a historical novel in a way that, that sort of, on one hand, talks about how, one, how commonplace this actually was. I mean, if you're 16 and not married, you are a spinster.
0: And this, what what is the era in which she's writing this, or what is 18, what
1: is the God, I'm i so it's mid
0: nineteenth century. Okay, so it's yeah, so definitely okay.
1: mid nineteenth century. Definitely okay. long Victorian, right? Um, you know, you know, long Victorian period. But it's also it's the thing is it's it's conscious of itself. For one, the the, the thing I like about it is so that the and uh, to 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 bring in the the Lolita a terrible comparison. Homegirl is no temptress. Homegirl is a child. Yeah. And not just that, she's also actually quite dull. <laughs> so the whole, the, the, the conflict is, is not even that you're going after this really young person. It's that you have to pick somebody who has like no qualities. It's like, it's like Woman Without Qualities, the prequel.
0: Well, but is it because the man is ultimately shallow?
1: No. Um, okay. I think the man's actions just confound his family and friends. Okay. Um, and I think the way in which and 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 I and I also really really envy Fitzgerald because she, one she she pulls this pulls this off in twenty two hundred twenty five pages, and. I talk about her a lot because I deal with a lot of older writers and older beginning writers mm-hmm. and people, and, and that's somebody who, with the, the gall to say, I'm 38, I'm older, I'm old. I'm like, no, dude. <laughs> Trust know?
0: me on this. You're not old.
1: Yeah. It's it's Penelope's first novel was when she was 59. Right. Right. I think Good. she still got, what, 13 out? Maybe 15 of them out?
0: Yeah. She was incredibly prolific. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, she's she's you know, manages to pack a lot into you know a novel of two hundred and fifty pages or two hundred pages, which is a which is you know this is that it it requires a sort of total different headspace to mm-hmm. tell a story, um, that succinctly and effectively.
1: My friend Teddy would be so happy that I brought up Pinup if it's Jericho, He's the guy who turned me on to her. He's mm-hmm. like and Freddie, you know me, Freddie. Teddy's one of the best. Probably the, the 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 best and most astute reader I know. I mean to him, Fitzgerald is it. Fitzgerald is his favorite novel. You he, think he, he thinks you know maybe the greatest novels he's ever read.
0: Interesting. Now did you know? well we we don't we because he's living and we don't we need to go into uh yeah. into Teddy's background yeah. here. But but it's interesting uh, that that he has that experience of mm-hmm. her. I mean I've read some of her books which I've liked, but not to that not to that mm-hmm. um uh, degree of enthusiasm.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I haven't read anything else from her yet, so we don't know. That's all right. um, this the the other book I although I think I've mentioned fifteen books by now, but <laughs> <laughs> the other the, the other book I thought of again last book versus posthumous is the Savage Detectives by Balanio Robert, Roberto yep. Balanio. Um, twenty six six or six still one it came out after his death and two it's an incomplete novel. It's that um, long that... and it's incomplete. It's incomplete. That doesn't stop people from considering that absolute masterpiece. Right. But uh, again, I didn't want to do the the posthumous thing. Savage Detectives actually was an early influence on Brief History of Seven Kilnogues. In fact, I started out with that book on my desk. Uh I'm going to write a Jamaican version, basically a Jamaican Savage Detectives. Interesting. Interesting. Um, except then I realized I wanted my novel to go f- further in time than Savage Detective goes. Yep. And I wasn't that interested in the sort of oral biography as fiction thing. All
0: right. That that was all right. Talk about that a little bit. Talk give give a sort of brief uh, uh, mm. description of the Savage Detective.
1: Um, so it's it's um, let's see, um, Arturo Bellano and his friend I can't remember. They become they decided we become the the Inforealistas. And of course, as a writer you love the, you love the romanticization of writers and poets totally and um they go on a they go they end up going on this trip and I trying to remember why, and I am trying to remember without revealing too much of it The thing I remember most about Sarah detectives is after going on when they they, they kind of sort of disappear mm-hmm. and what follows next is accounts from different people who have seen them, heard them, welcomed yes. them, such and yes. such. And it becomes this big panorama of of different characters, but it's basically different characters who observe these these, these, exactly.
0: these people. And they have different they come with different sort of perspectives, different baggage, different sort of you know, where they are in their lives and who these see these guys.
1: Right. It's like um, Raymond Kuno's work exercises exercises in style. Mm-hmm um nowhere near as 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 shawafi um <laughs> but i still i it, it it to me it um it it just sort of as a writer and i can speak to it probably more as a writer than as a reader it just opened up this whole idea of the different ways in which you can tell a story that another can move associatively that um, you can actually populate a novel with this, with basically the same event, but have different people see it, um, which may have had more reflect on you know on this trilogy I'm writing. Well, now I was on, about to bring that registry. up as
0: well because it's in some ways it's you do you did do that in brief history, but also this is you know this is the conceit or the sensibility of the Dark Star trilogy, and that's mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I like about it. It's like sort of being able to sort of see things more fully. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, a world, or an event, or people, or or it's almost well. There's a British playwright, um, uh, Alan Ackborn, who does this, who's done it before, um, where he'll have he actually write has wrote he wrote three full length plays, mm-hmm. House, Garden, and something else. Anyway, that all take place. At this one house, at this one time, with these same six characters, right. and when the two, when a character goes off stage in house, they pop up in garden and have a different, have different conversation. So you have to watch all three of them to sort mm-hmm. of see what everybody's doing, sort of you know, in the round, if you will, the sort of three hundred and sixty degree sense of what, um, you know, what's happening. To these characters, I think the uh, the playwright's still alive, so I shouldn't be talking about it. But I think it's a fascinating way to explore story and and character um that people don't do as often as they might because it's mm-hmm. frankly hard hmm it's hard to do right
1: yeah I forget that that um that detective was uh, uh, I mean talk about the influences on brief German*. I sorry detective at one point has like almost 40 narrators I think it's more good lord and 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 it also you know it also it also touches on the period that I touch on, you know, nineteen seventy six right. to the nineties. Right. So there is a lot of it that um, that I I I liked. Ultimately, I'm not as as much a romantic as as Bolano is, and I don't know if I also think writers are as important as Bolano does. Um, hmm. But you well, know, people like that whole fetish of the writer thing.
0: Well. I mean, you know, you think you're as important as Bolano thinks you are. That's clear. So that's a good thing. Well, it's, mm. those are interesting. Those are interesting sort of choices because I those are those are presumably you've. I mean, in the case of somebody like Shirley Jackson, you've read others of uh, other books that the authors have written. Mm-hmm. And do you get? us, I guess really, what I'm asking is, I agree with you. The best thing Shirley Jackson wrote was. Um, we've always lived in the castle. You know, her other stuff is really good too. Mm-hmm. Did you? Did you kind of? Are you at? a, Would you have chosen different authors? I think is what I'm asking. Would you have chosen different authors if they had written a different book at the end of their lives?
1: What do you mean? Like a better book or a worse book? I mean, yeah.
0: Like, I mean, would yeah. you have chosen Dickens? If he had if the last book he wrote was Bleak House is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Instead, instead of the you know, the mystery of everything. I think Drew. so.
1: Oh yeah. Um, certainly if if, um, if 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 Passage to India where Angels Fear to Tread was Forster's last.
0: Oh interesting.
1: Or if Howard Zen was his I can't remember. Then again I can't then again I'm falling into that again where Maurice is not his last novel. It's his posthumous novel.
0: Well, I mean, the only one that I can, the only the only Forster that I can actually stand is his sort of lighter stuff. The, um, mm-hmm. a room with a view. I mean, if mm-hmm. don't don't make me go to India again with E.M. Forster. I beg you. Okay, no. uh,
1: I got no. He I don't want he, do... he was he was not he was. I'm trying to find a modern equivalent, but they're all still living, and I'd get into trouble. People who I call who I consider snobs first, novelists second. <laughs> <laughs> of this makes you how you also have to put Edith Wharton who is a notorious snob
0: well all right i see i actually think in a weird way and this i, I did not choose her but mm. i think the older she got the the fewer fucks she had to give as well mm-hmm. so i actually think she got to be a um a ballsier writer You may not be interested, and I get it, in the sort of world that she wants to write about. But reading women, reading Edith Wharton's women, Mm -hmm. is kind of a fascinating way to look at how people in that world change Mm -hmm. their sort of sensibilities in the early 20th century.
1: I mean, I do love that novel. I I love the, the, I still love the novel of manners. Mm -hmm. Um, I will never write one. But (laughs) I do do love, and and I'm, and I'm still sort of amazed when they get pulled up. It's the it's, it's, it's reasons why, I mean, I'll always be partial to the Victorian novel. Um, well,
0: you know. I mean, there's, there's you know, there's the novel of manners and then there's, well, again, still alive. I can't, I can't really go into so much detail. But I mean, the mm. idea of um, uh, novels where nothing happens for 300 pages mm-hmm. and then you get 20 pages where all the plot happens. <laughs> and that kind of you know to me does not qualify as a as a as a a a worthwhile reading experience mm. now I, i'm i think i'm i can say this with all due re- regard and respect and you know love for what you do i don't think the world is waiting for a novel of manners from marlon james I'm just no, saying. I'm just. I'm definitely saying. not
1: waiting to write it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Good.
0: so, so you, so you both agree on that. You're, we all agree on that. But I do mm-hmm. think the idea you you t- sort of talk about is, yeah, you can be like, all right, um, you know, I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in, in um, Norman Mailer um, mm-hmm. books. You know, his idea of, of writing, in my opinion, is like, to, you know, unzip his zipper and pull out his dick. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not interested in anything that kind of you know. Yeah, he may be a man of great American letters. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: I, I I think there will be a sort of a reckoning with a lot of a lot of those authors. I think you know that that a lot of critics critics of color do have a point when they say a lot of these white male authors, you know, m- may have gotten more acclaim than they should have. Absolutely. Absolutely. and, and, and it, uh, yeah, and that um that a huge part of the bristling with this establishment is when they 've come to the point where they expect a certain thing. I think if you're an updeck or a mailer, you expect a certain kind of homecoming praise every time you write a book exactly exactly, and some Here's- of these novels are you know just simply simply just no um i i, I mean people who oh, there actually still think um what's that what's that um What's that novel that, that, um, that um, what's his name again, Catch-22 guy, Heller. Heller's so second to... novel, oh, Something oh, right, Happened. Right, right,
0: yes. Something I was like, happened. no,
1: it didn't, no, it didn't, Joseph. No, <laughs> trust, it, it actually didn't.
0: Trust, trust me on this. Yeah, nothing no. happened. All right, well, I'm going to talk about a couple of authors here, too. Um, mm-hmm. And interesting enough, I, until you brought up Bologno, um, all of yours were women, and mm-hmm. all of mine actually are women as well. And mm-hmm. the first one I want to talk about is the Bell Jar" by Sylvia Plath, which was a novel published in in nineteen sixty three I think right before she died. Um, mm-hmm. uh, actually, I found out recently that it was actually published, initially published under this under a pseudonym. Um, mm-hmm. Victoria uh, the pseudonym was Victoria Lucas. and it was a it's a it's a novel that's based a lot on her life. Um, it's about the main character, a woman named Esther Greenwood's kind of descent into mental illness. It takes place in the Mm fifties and, um, sort of the story of this woman's, um, uh, uh, getting a sort of internship at a magazine in New York that she comes down from New England to, um, uh, to take, take one summer and kind of the experiences she had with various people. And, and I think. I think for a lot of a lot of women, particularly in like the sort of '60s and '70s, it became mm-hmm. a, a novel that people um, uh, responded to as as kind of reflecting kind of the inner life of what a lot of uh, what certainly a uh, Sylvia Plath, as a poet and a novelist and short story writer, was kind of experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say, when well, the first time I read it, I was like, yeah, okay. And then I read it again a few years ago, and I. No surprise, I I missed a lot initially. It was one Mm -hmm. of those things that had more relevance to me as I was older and had an experience about how one tries to free oneself from Mm -hmm. your past um and i thought it was i th- actually think it's actually a really effective way of kind of i think she kind of wrote it and i'm i don't mean to impute ideas into sylvia platt that mm-hmm. you know others who are better about know more about her than i do but i mean the idea of being able to sort of exercise the past by writing about it, it that mm-hmm. that feels like it to me um anyway reese
1: reese did that i mean exactly, is a very big believer in exercising the past by writing about it um yes. You know, after leaving Mr. Mackenzie's definitely her. I had an affair with Ford Maddox Ford, and his wife knew about it. Novel. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> she, she, so, she, she, didn't she didn't play games with that shit.
0: Apparently not. Apparently not. Well, I mean, the thing, <laughs> the thing about this too is, you know, the the, you know, Sylvia Plath killed herself, and the sort of mm. whole idea of the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, an artistic life. Uh, ended early and and tragically and and the whole idea of what she might have done and then mm-hmm. you know her mother and her husband Ted Hughes kind of um,
1: uh, who drove another woman to suicide. Well, I allegedly.
0: Again, I was going to say I don't know that, so I'm not. I don't. <laughs> I don't kind of want to step into that conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think the whole thing about how one. Um, manages or manipulates another person's kind of literary reputation i think mm-hmm. sometimes it's it, it at least the bell jar um uh i i intentionally didn't want to read it again because of all the stuff i had read about sylvia plath and how mm-hmm. kind of you know the the deification of her writing as as we went over the last decades
1: anyway yeah i have um, read it actually so i i, I mean and well, i think it's, I've, it's, I've seen... it's it's Come one of, of those novels, though, that that comes with such a prepackaged reputation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think you should read it only if you can sort of, once you understand that, you can sort of set that aside and say, I don't give a shit what people think about, I mean, in other words, you need to sort of decide on your own what it is you think about the novel. Mm-hmm. Because it, because the, you know, it was easy for me to sort of step into the sort of hype initially when I was younger and frankly stupider. It's like, okay, yeah, I get this. Um, mm mm-hmm it's okay it I th- it had more relevance or had more power to me having read it th- two or three years ago re- again. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, don't make the mistake I did, basically. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at home. Um, the next book I want to write talk about um, is a is a is a book called. It's actually nonfiction. It's called One mm. Writer's Beginnings by Eudora Wel- Welty, and it's based on a series of lectures she gave at Harvard in the in early the early eighties. About- oh, it's One
1: Writer's Beginnings. I've always seen it and thought, isn't it One Writer's Beginnings? And that's a typo, but it actually, is One Writer's Beginnings? All right. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, yes, you 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 make um you make copy editors feel so feel so proud, but it's like yeah mm-hmm. we missed we missed the error the typo on the on the <laughs> uh, on the title, um, but it's basically about the people and places that influenced her now. I I I I am not a fan of Eudora Welty's fiction. I'm not a fan of the robbers, the robber bridegroom, the optimist's daughter, the 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 you know the charming southern kooky insightful books that she has written um, about mm-hmm. what it means to to grow up and, and to live in the South. Um, however, I think this book shows what a writer that a writer can be. I mean, it, it's almost a book about a writer as observer and mm-hmm. um, and the way she kind of can go into her own i don't know whatever the metaphor go into her own orchard and pluck mm-hmm. out the ripe fruit from her experience and offer to to sort of readers to sort you know sort of say this is how i you know this is what i brought with me in my mm-hmm. from my youth from my education she's born in you know the early 1900s in Jackson Mississippi and lived all of her life in the south um and you know she she sort of writes about how her family and you know the world in which she lived helped mold her personality and her writing she, mm-hmm. what i think is more interesting about her one of the most interesting things about her is that she was a, she worked as a photographer during the during the depression um, and and work for the WPA, and this book has kind of a photographic feel to it. She sort of mm-hmm. points her kind of lens at the small moments she remembers from her past. Um, you know, she explo- explores the you know the differences between living in town or living in the country, or the dynamic between. Black and white, or mm-hmm. kind of the moments of real life that that you know most people don't pay attention to, but she does, and p- sort of points her cam points her camera at or her camera lens mm-hmm. at. I think she chose better in her, in my opinion, she chose better in her nonfiction than she did in her fiction, which I know mm-hmm. is is weird. So I I suppose uh, the only the only thing I would say uh, the last thing I would say about this is that she has I I, I responded to her f- kind of her nonfiction, mm. um. With more enthusiasm than I did to a to a fiction.
1: I the thing about eudora welty I, 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 I there's one story by eudora welty I teach and I teach every year that I teach because when one of the one of the one of the topics I talk about in my uh, creative writing class is evil. Mm-hmm. You know, is people what? How do you write a person who does who does a horrible thing? Not the person who accidentally murdered somebody, but a right. person who set out to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a fan, a story that appeared in New Yorker, and in and at the time, they changed the title, the, the, the character's name, is called Where's His Voice Coming From, and it happened after Medgar Evers was killed, was murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever read this story? No. It's it's, it's a great, flipping story. So, if she wrote it, when she wrote it, she actually used Medgar. Oh, interesting. As the character's name? And stuff name? in it, and New Yorker had her change it. And, um... Because it's, it's, it was one of these stories where people go, you know, and we still do it. And even though when, when, when somebody commits a crime, he must have been mad. Dylan Roof must mm-hmm. have been angry. Dylan Roof must have said he must have, not angry, lost his mind, his mental illness. And she knew from even back then that that was not it at all. Mm-hmm. And the thing about um, the, the character, it's the person who just murdered Medgar and she gets into the mind of the murderer. Because everybody was screaming, "What kind of person would do this?" And she's like, "I grew up with these people. I know exactly yep. mm-hmm. the type of person who would kill a black man." And uh, and she she talks about it, and 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 some of the things she gets perfectly in it is this whole idea of um, what you have. I don't want. I just don't want you to have it. Mm-hmm. The person kills a black character. The wife comes out screaming. And all he can think about is she comes out screaming on a perfect lawn. What do you need a perfect lawn for? My (laughs) wife would never do that. My wife don't don't need no perfect lawn. She'd be like, can you see the lawn these people out here have? Mm -hmm. It's not that he wants a perfect lawn. He couldn't care less. He just doesn't want her to have it. Yes. And that is some of the things about when people do horrible things, despicable things that writers up to this day get wrong.
0: That's interesting.
1: And I always, have, I always have my students read it because before you come to me with another schizophrenic person who's a mass murderer, because I can tell you, I know people struggling with schizophrenia. They ain't mm-hmm. killing anybody. You know, this, the link between criminality and mental illness, which really has to stop.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but that is a story I give people that this is how you do it. You know, look at what he's saying here. He has reduced a character to a thing. He's reduced a character to property. He's reduced <laughs> a character to somebody who's just taking up space. Yep. He doesn't want the space. He just doesn't want you to have it.
0: It's almost like, you know, happiness or or success or whatever is a zero sum mm-hmm. game. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's like if I can't have it, you're not going to have it. It's not, it's right. like, it's, uh, it's uh, a limited.
1: It, yeah. And it goes further. If Even if I don't want it. Mm hmm. You still can't have it, and yes. if you will see with it, I'm gonna take it from you. It's a br- it's a absolutely it's a brilliant devastating story. I think later versions, I think New Yorker put back the original names. I've seen versions where where the character says Medgar.
0: Interesting, interesting.
1: But uh, but I I, say, I haven't read a lot of her work. I hear mixed things about her, but I will permanently give her props.
0: Well, no, I mean story. this is one of those things where you know I'm I'm happy to say you know, go with God on her. I'm going to sit Mm -hmm. over here. um, You know, uh, for my money, I'm more interested in other, you know, writers from the South, which we can talk about. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of them are
1: dead, so we can talk about a lot of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Something to look forward to here. Now it's time to turn to the assignment I mentioned earlier. Um, In a previous episode, I had assigned both of us, the task of reading the very short memoir by the 20th century American humorist James Thurber. It's called My Life and Hard Times, which was originally published in 1933. Uh, James Thurber was a a well-known humorist and cartoonist in the early part of the, the 20th century, and his writing appeared regularly in places like The New Yorker. So I thought it might be interesting to sort of see whether his humor holds up Sort of ninety, sort of you know, nearly ninety years after the book was, or you know, ninety years later, basically, and mm-hmm. and what we sort of think about it because it's this is a this is not a book I, I I think it's safe to say it's not a book you or I would naturally have picked off no. the shelf. Mm. So I'm interested in hearing what you thought about it.
1: You know, I mean, talk about things whether they age or age well. She was a comely and sombre negress. <laughs> Who was always able <laughs> to find things my mother lost? I was like, hey, you comely you comely okay. and somber That was and literally egress. the first
0: thing I wrote down. I mean, uh, I, yeah. this is it's but, a it basically it's a, it's a basically a collection of, of short stories about mm. his his youth growing up in a mm. in Columbus, Ohio, in the early twentieth century, and it's a kind of you know upper middle class white family that had a series of. Um, uh, servants, many of whom were black. Uh, in a particular story, he writes a lot about, uh, you know, some just wacky characters who happened to wander through the Her- Thurber house during, you know, what it was like in 1920 did, or
1: whatever. Yeah, but he, he he did find the Negro woman comely. <laughs> exactly. So I'll give that. But, you know, but then he'll drop a line like, he gazed at me a long time as if I were a slot machine into which he had, without results, dropped a nickel. I was like, I wish I wrote that, <laughs> because it's it's there are times when I'm still trying to figure out how do you write the part where you're disappointed in a person. <laughs> and I was like, that's exactly like it. It's like it's like I put a coin in a slot machine and didn't get nothing.
0: Got got you, you know? yeah that's I, very, it, that's interesting because I yeah. I would have said that I mean from what I, where I said there are people who write. You know, they write funny sentences, or the mm-hmm. the the joke comes from the the kind of you know the the dichotomy of the of the example or whatever, or mm. profanity or whatever. This feels to me this this book and Thurber generally feels like the humor comes from the tone.
1: Yeah, it, from, it comes from the tone, and it comes from it comes from the subject matter. I don't know if the family thought they were as funny as yes, it, yes. and I don't know if he and and a lot of these scenes. I don't think he's actually mining them for laughs. Exactly. But it's, but it's um it's I, the thing I liked about it, um and the thing that charmed me about it is the way in which every family is in its own way weird.
0: Absolutely. And and the thing about this too is their behavior on the page. Is perfectly normal to the family, and it's mm-hmm. clear that they think that there's three generations of the Thurbers living in in the in this house. There's this kind of crazy old grandfather who has a bedroom in the attic, and then the sort of long suffering yeah, mother and, and, the and father, and still thinks
1: he's on Sherman's March.
0: Exactly, still still fighting the Civil War, and James Thurber and his and his brothers, and so there's this kind of sense of what life is like in this house that seems to them weirdly normal this is how the, mm-hmm. I mean there's a scene where the mother thinks there's a burglar coming um, mm-hmm. in that so she throws she throws something out the window to her, to her next door neighbor break, shattering the next door neighbor's window and tells them to call the cops <laughs> that the cops come and you know that's the sort of thing I th- my first thought was who does that and then you mm-hmm. realize oh yeah this family does that that's mm-hmm. what they do and and the thing about when I've went back to, to to the tone there's a there's a the, the the opening the preface to the book it's it's called preface to to a life and the first the first line is begins with benvenuto Cellini said that a man should be at least forty years old be uh, before he undertakes so fine an enterprise as that of settling setting down the story of his life Benvenuto mm-hmm. Cellini. I mean, that's like a, you know, like a silversmith or a goldsmith from like the 16th century. That Mm -hmm. is not the example, that is not the name to pull out of, you know, uh, your hat when you're trying to sort of, you know, talk funny or write funny in Mm -hmm. the 21st century. I think it's sort of very much of a a type. The other Mm -hmm. thing I thought was interesting about this book is, as I said before, Thurber's a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And within this book there's actually pen drawings a pen, a pen and ink drawings of this mm-hmm. of this um, of this kind of weird kind of almost sexless ageless examples of who these various people were in his life. Yeah,
1: they do look like sort of these blob figures.
0: They're totally blob. They have no, and it's all, it's just black and white. There's mm-hmm. no shading. There's a whole yeah. chapter about a dog, and there's a picture of a dog eating at a table. I mean, it's, it's, um...
1: Yeah. The thing is, uh, about it, though, it's, I've read other things like this that can't help but be self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel, that, feel it about this. Even though I still think, even having read it and liked it, like, this wouldn't be a book i pick up exactly nor, um, nor
0: would i and and the thing is you know people talk about oh my god mark twain's amazing humor or mm-hmm. you know the kind of dark humor of dorothy parker and this or the acidic sensibility she all of that mm-hmm. uh, all of that is you know it's still within our sort of world i mean we can mm-hmm. we can but this is you know thurber for whatever reason um it's not that we've forgotten him, although maybe we have. It's just it's it's it, it's easy for him for us to overlook him. And I had never read mm-hmm. anything about by him in this in a, in book form.
1: I yeah, he's he 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 was easily part of the list of authors I know and whose book I might even buy and put in my library, but never read. Exactly. It's exactly. it's it's like you know Sigmund Freud's interpretation of dreams, or you know, or 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 Taipei. I'm never gonna read Taipei. I love Melville. I'm never gonna read it. Okay. You know. All right.
0: All right. You might you might want to think about that though. I mean, the really, mantle. yeah,
1: really. You like it's, that book?
0: Well, all right. Let me put it this way: if uh, if you've got nothing to do, <laughs> well, no. What I mean is, it's it's a commitment. In other words, mm-hmm. it's don't don't think. Oh, um, you know what? I'll I'll sit down and polish it off, and then I'll, let's then we'll go to dinner. It's not mm-hmm. that kind of book. Um, but I i mean i had that reaction to born peace i never thought i'd mm-hmm. read it and when i did i was really glad i did
1: yeah okay i'll read it something it will, it will move beyond the, the list of books you know because <laughs> i mean some books here i mean make n- n- no mistake i'm never gonna approach uncle tom's cabin that 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 time that ship has sailed
0: that's we're not we're not doing that we're not going there no
1: that that ship has sailed that 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 i should have read when i was 14.
0: oh okay so did you read it in school?
1: No, we, were, we had to read that or, or Huckleberry Finn, and the teacher struck gold, just is like, we're going to read Huck Finn instead.
0: Okay, interesting. Because yeah. I don't think I, think, I mean, well, you know what I think about Huckberry Finn, but I, I mm. think um, read Tom Sawyer instead. But um, I mm-hmm. think, I, I don't think I ever, I don't think I was ever assigned um, Uncle Tom's Cabin in, in school, either in high school or in college.
1: Yeah, I think even back, even, I mean, it, beca- it, became, it became problematic pretty early. In fact, well, I, can, I also I can say, I, I,
0: well, I can say without you know without shame, I tried to read Uncle Tom's Cabin several
1: times. Mm-hmm. And oh, you uh, said that's me, That's your Wuthering Heights.
0: I had. I ended up. I I finished Wuthering Heights, and I wow. I, I,
1: I yeah. I just decided today I'm going to try Wuthering Heights again. It would be my fifth try.
0: And they said, oh, okay. You know what? My don't put yourself through it. It's it's not worth it. Save I'm yourself. Sure,
1: I mean, I just want to get to page one hundred of that damn book, or maybe the audiobook. I don't know. It's, it's go. You know what? See the movie. It's as
0: it's as <laughs> terrible as the book. Merle Oberon, D- David Niven, and Larry Olivier. Oh,
1: Laurence Olivier! I yes. love that movie. Actually, no, I don't <laughs> love it. I just like Merle Oberon a lot. Um, oh
0: that's right, Merle Oberon. That's right. You're right. It was mm, Merle Oberon. That's yeah. right.
1: Um yeah. It's but to go back to, to, to um the Thurber, the thing I the thing I like about Thurber, and I think I think he has that a lot of writers from his era have that very few writers now have is charm. Exactly. Yes. And and it's 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 what it's what made it's what drew him into Henry Fielding. Um, um I, oh, and interesting. I, Okay, and I so don't you, think it, so I, Tom
0: Jones is charming. You think Tom Jones is oh, charming? Oh,
1: that's what drew me, charmed me. Okay. And I I and I'm, I'm here thinking in my head, who would I call a charming a charming writer? I mean who? Gerald Durrell, maybe? Um Well um, Angela right. Thurkel, I think, is charming. Mm-hmm. Um in some
0: ways, this is not the first the The first uh, adjective you'd use to describe Muriel Char, Muriel Spark, she can mm. be charming,
1: mm-hmm. um, but you're right. I can see it's not that.
0: like you think. Well, you, you don't think. Oh, George Eliot,
1: mm-hmm. she's charming. You don't think <laughs> that. No, that's like saying Emily Dickinson was the life of the party.
0: <laughs> she wasn't even charming. What? Do you, what can I say? She
1: wasn't even at the party. Um, <laughs> that's right. Well, exactly. you know. I, yeah. So, in in keeping with in keeping with the 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 spirit of assigning books, so I have a book for Jake to read that I have not read. That I've always been curious of, mostly because of the role that Toni Morrison played in her life, and the writer is Toni Cade Bambara, mm-hmm. and the novel is called *The Salt Eaters*. Good. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of her short story because it was one of the most anthologized short stories, and you think I would remember it off the top of my head. Because almost everybody at some point has had to read this this short story um what was the name of that short story? It's a pretty famous one um okay I will remember I'll probably remember by the next the next podcast, but I've always been curious about the salt eaters and the way which it supposedly plays on on narrative, on point of view. Mm -hmm. you know, It was her first novel. Um, She was known for her short stories and her short stories are um, phenomenal. She's one of the people who Toni Morrison edited. So I'm very, of course- Oh, interesting. Well, we can't, you know, I'm like, we can't pass a podcast with me doing some sort of hero worship of Toni Morrison. I have zero
0: problem with that. It would not be
1: this podcast. So I'm also (laughs) interested in her writing, but I'm also interested in her taste. Yes. And and I think that would be a really, really good book to for us to read. Okay. And I'm, I'm
0: going to get a copy of the Salt Eaters. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. We want to hear from you, so send us your feedback at We Read Dead People at PenguinRandomhouse dot com.
1: And if you enjoyed my effervescent wit and me using words like effervescent, which I'm pretty sure that's not how you pronounce it. Um, And we're also having fun at Jake's expense. Go ahead and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate this podcast. You can follow Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and all things books. All of them written by living authors, of course. And we'll have links in the show notes to the books that we've talked about today. So thanks for listening and go read some dead people.
2: Listening to Marlon and Jake means my to-read list gets longer every week. Enter Libro FM. Libro FM lets me purchase audiobooks directly from my favorite local bookstore. I can pick from more than 185,000 titles, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. I get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But I'm part of a different story. One that supports community. And you can be too. Marlon and Jake Read Dead People listeners can get a special offer two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership. That's two audiobooks for just $14.99 with the code Marlon and Jake. Visit Libro.fm to get started. Now go read some Dead People. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the US.